Welcome to the Fishing Oregon Coast podcast. Meet the fishing pros, hear stories, get advice, and hear the latest fishing reports from the Oregon coast. Now, here's your host, Gary Palmer. Howdy, howdy. Gary Palmer here with Fishing Oregon Coast podcast. I'm just thrilled today to have this opportunity of talking with Wayne Hines. Wayne has been an avid fisherman and an author his whole life. In, well, thus 39 years, he's done something pretty amazing. He's logged his fishing trips. And then he mines this information, these logs, and writes articles and books helping people catch more fish, which I'm really interested in. Wayne writes a monthly column, Fish On, for the Pacific Northwest Boating Design, and he's authored five fishing books, and he's sold over 140 articles and photos to... 16 magazines and newspapers. Well, Wayne, I've uh, told our audience a little about your background, but can you take a few moments and tell us more about yourself and your fishing and your writing? Sure, Gary. The logs are key, as you mentioned. Uh, it only takes five or ten minutes at the end of the day to jot down some notes on how many salmon you caught and what they were biting on. And ten years later, look at those logs and say, no, August is the wrong month, but September is the right month. So the logs are the key. Wow, that's, you know, not very many people do that, though. <laughs> that's pretty, it's awesome. But I tell you, Julie does, she doesn't keep, she does keep a log of every fish we ca- that not we catch, but that we keep by date. But that's all. We don't really keep track of other information. Well, we uh, fish bays, uh, river mouths, and oceans, uh, saltwater. Yeah. And uh, it's we found, Gary, that it's just as important to say, to write down in our log what did not work. If we trolled for an hour with a blue hoochie at 35 feet and it didn't work off of Newport, we write it down. It takes oh. 10 seconds to write that information down. Again, 10 years later, you don't do that. You do something else. So uh, the logs are important. And you are right, Gary. Very few people do this. I, when I do seminars and at boat shows and yeah. West Marine and yeah. Bellas stores, I give away free logs. And few people take me up on that. I don't know why, since it's such an, uh, an easy thing to do. So how, how do you... How do you organize it or, you know, physically, how do you do this so it's not a real burden? How, how do you organize oh, it? I have a pre-printed page, one page, okay. that says the water temperature, the air temperature, the wind, the time of day, how many fish we caught, what colors. It's all, so all I have to do is fill in the blanks. Oh, you're, you're, you're seeing trends, I guess. So what, what do you learn from that? What, what the, the log is for. Trends, you are correct. And mentioning the moon, we have found that the moon makes no difference at all. I have a little, little uh, blank spot at the bottom of my log page, moon phase. Yeah. And I can study this over decades. And although I myself have believed that a full moon uh, is is better fishing, it's not true. Huh. Uh, the, the log says, at least for our fishing, yeah. that moon phase doesn't make any difference, but the log says tide phase makes all the difference. Logging it would really help you understand that. Hey? Oh, yes. For surf perch fishing along uh, Oregon, down by yeah. from Newport uh, up to Winchester Bay, for uh-huh. instance, uh-huh. 
the, the incoming tide, and again, this comes from long pages, the incoming tide is far better than the outcoming tide. I would not know that because we're having fun. We're uh, beachcombing and fishing and right. building sand castles. Right. Uh, I wouldn't think of that, but I, it, it's in the log. Incoming tide, the fish come in, and there it is. Here, do you keep track of the weather? Oh, yes. The wind especially. Uh, fish don't care about wind, but it sure affects our fishing success, of course. Uh, yes. The log is simple. Uh, anybody who wants to uh, log on to my website, WayneHinesOutdoors.com, can uh, just do a little email note, and I'll send you a free log page. Thank you. Okay, I'll put a link to that on the show notes. Wayne, I had someone from our audience write in a question. They said they just relocated from the East Coast, and they used to love to surf fish off the beach there. They wanted to know if they could do the same thing here on the on the West Coast. They, they moved here to Oregon. And, and do that. They don't have a boat, but they want to surf uh, fish. So what? how would you answer that? What? Well, first, I grew up as a boy in New Jersey. So I went jetty fishing and surf fishing as much as I could in the summers at uh-huh. Belmar, New Jersey. Uh-huh. The here on the West Coast is simple. Uh, one word, downsize. In New Jersey, we used rods that were 13 feet long, reels that weighed four pounds, and cast about 100 yards out into the rough Atlantic surf. Here, my advice would be to downsize a lot. Instead of using this huge tackle for a fish that only weighs a pound or two, like a barred surf perch or a red-tailed surf perch, Downgrade, downgrade to a steelhead rod, an eight and a half foot steelhead rod, graphite, medium action, with a spinning reel, eight pound braided line, uh, Lama Glass's uh, MBS 86M is a good rod choice. Okay. Um, the Daiwa Status Reel Series is good. So when you wait out on that jetty or you take your kayak out or you put your chest waders on and wait out into the surf, you're you're going to catch fish and have fun instead of just winching them in with a massive East Coast surf casting rod. Yeah. Trying to reel them in with a spinning rod and get a little fight out of them. So the word downsized, I think, would be the key. So if you're on the beach, miles of beach, how do you pick a spot? How do you know where the best chances are? Surf fishing in Oregon and Washington, Northern California begins on low tide with a pair of binoculars and your sneakers on, wading along the beach, uh, driving along the highway with your binoculars. Low tide is when you see where the the holes are, the little depressions in the sand that at high tide will hold the surf perch. One, you research at low tide and fish at high tide. Two, you go to Google uh-huh. or NOAA Maps, uh-huh. and on the night before, you study the surf because sometimes one spot on that map will jump right out and say this is going to have steeper sloped shore uh-huh. and it's going to have more surf perch. Another one might have a flat shore that goes out for half a mile and is only three feet deep. That's not going to have surf perch. So uh-huh. research. Uh, is is the key. Catching is just a matter of of uh, prospecting. They, these are schooling fish. 
if you don't catch a surf perch in 10 minutes, move. Uh-huh. Move and move again, and then boom, after getting skunk for an hour, you'll catch 10 in 10 minutes. You know, they're schoolers. So the uh-huh. whole goal is to find these little depressions in the sand, um, perhaps little whirlpools and where there's dirtier water that the sand crabs and little things will accumulate that they eat, and then at high tide, harvest. So when you say the Google Maps, so the, like the Google Earth or the uh, Google Satellite Maps, you can actually see the color change is what you're saying, or you'll see the a change oh, on that. Absolutely. You hit it on the head, Gary. It's the color change on the Google Earth that you're looking for. Dirty water is good fishing water for surf perch and also uh, occasional flounder in, in the top trail on the, on the map. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that here uh, the they're, they're, a lot of them are the pink fin perch. They also come in the rivers here and, and spawn in the in the summer. But <clears throat> and and they uh, the I know they use you know people use different you know uh, artificial um, bait uh, like like but um, like grub plastic grubs or things. But but I think the the main thing are these uh, sand shrimp that you can dig here in Oregon. You can just dig them on a and um, they look like little kind of little lobster type things or crawfish or something but they're just in the sand and they're fun to go dig it's kind of a julie and i've done that we haven't fished off the beach but we do we fished off our boat for the perch and um it is really fun we take our grandkids and they really have fun catching those but but that's something we need to do is go off the beach that really sounds like something that would be we'd like doing Put those kids to work. The yep. bait you want are, like you say, sand crabs. Yes. You want mussels, yep. uh, little uh, sand worms. Put yep. the kids to work. You have as much fun catching the, catching the bait, <laughs> catching the fish. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Those are good tips. I, yeah, I appreciate that. I, yeah, I appreciate that. I, so the um, your, your series of books, I have three of them uh, about... Uh, the how here's how to you have one on the the, the one that that uh, you sent me on catching flounder surf perch and they have two that i purchased off amazon uh catch rockfish ling cod and other bottom fish and then catch halibut um and i know you have other other books too on, on uh, salmon and other fish but um so how how did you come about these little i like these little books i like the format of them but how did you come up with that uh, uh that format and that little that series of books well, my first book, uh, six or eight years ago, was a big book, you know, 150 pages, How to Catch Everything, from yeah. salmon to surf perch yeah. to halibut. And, uh, you know, it was 20 or 30 bucks. Yes. Well, the person, the average person walking into the store wants to go fishing maybe two or three times uh, a month with his, his family. Maybe that's not, not uh, a good price. Yeah. By extracting chapters from the big book and uh, adding to them a lot of diagrams and uh, illustrations on reading, uh, we were able to put these little books for eight bucks or six bucks. Yeah, they're nice. Uh, and you hang it right along, and let's say we have this little halibut book we have yes. for, I think it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's eight dollars. Yep. Uh, hangs, it hangs on a store rack yep. on a pegboard right next to the halibut jig. So a person is out uh, buying a few. Oh, here's a here's a little book on how to use a jig, and it's only the same price as the jig. Might as well buy one. That is why they sell so well. 
That's great. Yeah, I, I like these. They're they're great books. They're you know they're small. You can but and they're uh, kind of a quick read, but they're a great reference. Uh, yeah, I, I like. Yes, yeah, especially uh, we put a lot. We added a lot of illustrations and reading diagrams. You can throw one of these little three-inch by seven-inch booklets in your tackle box, and if you thought that surf perch fishing requires a pyramid sinker and a one-foot yes. leader and a number four hook, it's yep. right there in the book. Page thirty-six, and it's so easy to do. So that's that's uh, the logic behind creating this series of little books. Great. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll put a link to these two on the show notes, also. And so, what? Sure. And what is your what is your most memorable fishing experience? Oh boy, over a lifetime. <laughs> or, or you know what? Pick one. You probably have lots of them. And if somebody... over a lifetime. <laughs> you know, Gary. Um, it's odd to say, but. The big fish that I have landed and my friends on board my boat have landed, they all blend together. But the big fish that I lost or a buddy lost, they are branded into my brain forever. (laughs) So the most memorable is really, it sounds like a cliche, but it's the one that got away. I mean, I could go on for a long time, and I won't. You know, you know that that's I, that's true. I, I have my, it. I, lost. it must have been as big as the boat. A salmon that jumped uh, that would have been the state record, and we lost it. These are the <laughs> failure, Gary. Failure are the memories that are that are branded <laughs> on my brain. Oh, uh, where where was that? Where was that at? That you caught that? Was it? Uh, they make good stories. The one that got away makes good magazine stories. Yes, it does. It does. Yeah, I, I it, the my the one that got away story was one that Julie caught, and I messed up. She started it, it spooled her, and we were by ourselves. No one was around, and we were just just turned got daylight. We left really in the dark, and all and we just dropped in, and she hooked onto a huge salmon, and we. We catch you know a lot of fish, so we knew this was a really big fish, and she it started spooling her, and she told me you gotta you gotta chase it, Gary. So I started, I had the kicker going, and I just said I'm just gonna just take it in reverse and and chase it with the kicker going backwards. I screwed up, and I I have a hand control for the kicker, and I I was going backwards, and I pushed the wrong side, and I spun the boat. I spun it all the way around. And, oh. and we have a radar arch, and she got her line caught up on the radar arch, uh, oh, no. and lost it. And I just I had to beg her forgiveness for a long time for <laughs> losing that salmon. The one that got away is the one that sticks in your it's, mind, right? Yeah, it does. You're right. <laughs> That's great. Well, yes. Well, so, oh, yeah. this well, what, is so much fun. It is. I I know. I in fact so I am so. You know, you you see bumper stickers or you see plaques or things that say something like, you know, the worst day fishing is better than the best day at work or life is short, you need to fish more and so on, those type of things. Why, why do people get so hooked on fishing? Why do they become so fanatically about fishing? Oh, boy. Yeah, well, that, that can be personalized. <laughs> why am I such a fishing nut? Exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> It's, uh, I was fishing yesterday and uh, for smallmouth bass since it's a little early for saltwater. Yes. And um, it was a terrible day. The wind was blowing, we had three foot waves, and we had to duck uh. into a little cove. 
Oh. And yet, I was so excited to be out on the water on this uh, sunny spring day. Why? Uh, we only caught a few one-pound, two-pound bass. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's the anticipation. Uh, it's mm. it's the, the it's waiting for the bite. I guess it's just the thrill of of waiting. <laughs> Like a hunter waiting for a big, a big buck to walk in front of their bow and arrow blind. Uh, fishing is the same way. It's the expectation I think that excites me. Yes. Yes. I, you How know, about you? Yes, that is why it just it's that. Well, one thing, it, it it's an incredible feeling to be on the water, and for me, especially on the ocean, and and then also especially on a day when the ocean just flattens out. There's nothing yeah. like it. There's nothing like it that any, I haven't ever experienced anywhere. And I, you know, I used to be a scoutmaster at a hike with boys up in the wilderness, and I've you know done a lot of outdoor things. But it was like there's not no feeling, no nothing that is like the the feeling you get when you're on the ocean on a beautiful day, and you can't see the land, and you're just like and you're seeing awesome things. It's like this is heaven on earth. This is incredible. This feeling. That, that, there's a lot of fishing than fishing. Exactly. But then also, not knowing what you're going to catch and the anticipation, just that hope, and then that thrill of when you see that line go down, you know, just that, that pull. Yes, especially the bottom fishing off of Oregon. Yes. You could catch one of 35 species of rockfish. Exactly. You could catch a uh, thresher shark. You could exactly. catch a... Ray, a big skate you could catch exactly. a king salmon while you're fishing for kelp greenling. It's yes. unexpected. Exactly. Yep, and that's I think that's it. The unexpected. You just don't know. So so we're out catching fish, but uh, we eat a lot of fish. But what is your what's your favorite way of of cooking fish, preparing fish? Well, we were talking about surf perch. They yeah. make wonderful uh, fish tacos. For instance, you flay mm-hmm. them out. It's a mild, uh, soft meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, when you're talking lean cod and kelp greenling, oh my goodness, what could taste better? Mm-hmm. But uh, we tend toward fish tacos and, and uh, fish salad, things like that, uh, because we, we live on our boat quite often and we dine on our boat. It has to be an easy meal. Yes. And lots of times a cold fish salad is, uh, satisfies us. Huh. That's interesting. How, so do you just fry up like a fillet of fish and then kind of crumble it on the salad? Is that how you'd cook it? Or? Absolutely. Just like you would buy, you would, you would get at a fancy restaurant. Uh, that's exactly what we do. Huh. Well, that's, huh. You know, I haven't tried that, but we we fish not every day, but pretty much every day. And, and that I'm going to try that. That's a great idea. Huh. Yeah, thank you. That's um, yeah, uh, something else has changed our, our um, not changed, revolutionized our treatment of fish to eat uh, is the little, um, what are they called, vacuum sealers. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Buy them at Costco for yep. 30 bucks. Yes, we have. Uh, yep. As, you know, we catch a halibut and uh, chop it up into 10 or 20 pieces. Yeah. Um, Six months later, if, if we vacuum seal it, it tastes fresh, and that has really made a difference in our winter dining. Yes, yes. We have salmon, well, we have salmon, lingcod, halibut, tuna, still in our freezer from last year, and and perch, surf perch, or you know, uh, black sea bass. And um, we vacuum pack it, just like you said, and 
I, you know, I cooked some salmon uh, yesterday, and it was just like new, it was like fresh. It was really, really good. It's just like it's delicious. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Gary, back to your New Jersey transplant to Oregon. Yes. yes. Uh, may I suggest that he or she yeah. consider a kayak? You mentioned oh. a flat, a flat calm day on the beach. Yes. Uh, when I'm casting. I'm casting quite often toward kayakers, and they are having a blast out there catching flounder and le- and cat greenling and uh, little surf perch. Really? Uh, I myself have thought about, well, maybe I should get a kayak for the coast. <laughs> huh? Huh? That's it. Well, so I know there's, it's many- becoming really popular uh, here on the Oregon coast. I yeah, there, I do see a lot of kayakers. In fact. We'll see them in the bay trolling right alongside of us, you know, in the tidal part here. The rivers flow both ways during the end of the tides. And they're right in amongst the bigger boats, you know, trolling with a kayak. They pedal it and co- trolling for salmon. And, yes, uh, I've seen them down the Newport. I've seen them on a calm yeah. day yes. walk out on a city a little bit, yeah. and then they kind of sneak their kayak in the water, and then they can go toward shore. Yeah. and catch fish that are um, not acceptable to me on you know, standing in my chest waders. That's yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good suggestion. I that's good. I I have, an, I have another question for you. So, what what advice or tips would you have for the poor angler that just gets skunked way too often and they're watching other people catch fish but uh, but they're not. What advice would you have? Oh boy. Two, two or three ideas and they're each quick. Uh, we, for the past half a dozen years, we never go fishing without going online first to uh, the re- all the resorts and the marinas and the big shops. They're all online and they all have up to date fishing reports in season. Right. Two, uh, when we, if we trailer our boat to a faraway place, before we launch, we simply stop at a big shop and say, What's up? What are we catching? How are we- uh-huh. The locals know far more than I do, arriving yes. from 50 miles away. And yes. so the second thing is to not hesitate to ask. Yes. And the third thing about getting skunked is to talk to the fish. It's easy. <laughs> Just keep changing your color, changing the bait, uh-huh. changing the size, changing the, uh, the angle Good. of the, Good point. the with the, the tide, changing the depth. Right. Change, change, right. change. Only talk to fish, right. and the fish answer by biting. So if you right. if you just constantly change and change and change, uh, you'll improve your um, best. To to uh, summarize that, um, it's it's. Uh, let's see. Keep patience is a land virtue, Gary. Impatience is a water virtue, and right. I noticed. People who say, I fished this way last year, and I'm going to keep this blue hoochie on until I catch one. But we subscribe to a different philosophy. We keep changing, changing everything until they finally hit, and then we stick to it. Yeah, try different things. You know, in in freshwater, uh, people are kind of secretive because there's a limited number of holes. The Columbia River only has so many good eddies in this one particular spot. On saltwater... Uh, I have found, and my friends have found, that people are eager to share their success. 
The ocean's a big place. Yes. The school of salmon might be five yes. miles long and a half a mile wide in September. Yes. People are very, uh, very eager to tell you how they succeed and how yes. you succeed. Yes. And we always ask, yes. what's there to lose? Like, uh, there's nothing to lose by asking. Well, uh, before we say goodbye, do you have any parting words for our audience? And then, um, and then what's the best way uh, for people to connect up with you? Oh, my website, uh, WayneHinesOutdoors.com, uh, has a question and answer and, you know, comments uh, section, of course, like most sites. Just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Well, well I've enjoyed talking with you, Wayne. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gary. Bye-bye. Okay, bye now. Thanks for listening. For show notes and pictures from this episode, head over to our website, fishingoregoncoast.com, your number one resource for fishing on the Oregon coast. Until next time, we're wishing for you tight lines and calm seas.